Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, January 13th. We begin with a look at the rising cost of inflation, which has been trending at or near record levels for the past several months. How much do you know about inflation and the factors that have been influencing rising costs to consumers? We talk with Stephen Tapp, who's a chief economist with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, and get a lesson in Inflation 101. Continuing our conversation on rising prices, do you get sticker shock when you're filling up your vehicle these days? What's driving up the prices at the and what can we expect prices to be as we move deeper into 2022? We discuss with the professor of public policy from the University of Calgary. Next up, a hot topic that everyone seems to have an opinion on, climate change and extreme weather. We speak with a senior fellow from the Fraser Institute to look at the future of climate change and specifically how accurately we can forecast climate catastrophes and just how reliable those predictions are. And finally, it's your guide to the tastiest offerings in the city. We check in with Cami Laird, editor of Savor Calgary Magazine, who brings us details on a feature this month called Smoke Show, highlighting some of the most visually appealing culinary dishes in the city. A real feast for the eyes. Inflation. It hurts our wallets, but how does it actually work? Joining us this morning to help explain and break down the complicated topic is Stephen Tapp, Chief Economist with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Good morning to you, Stephen. Thanks so much for joining us. How are things out in Calgary today? Oh, not so bad. A little bit warmer than it had been. So we're warm, we're ready to go, and we're ready to find out what the heck inflation actually is. Stephen, how would you explain inflation to a 12-year-old, for example? Uh, Well, I would say that inflation is really looking at a measure of of prices, and the way that we compare those in in most places is look at what the price of something was last year, and we look at what the price is this year, and then we make a year-over-year comparison and say, you know, for example, right now in Canada, uh, prices are up close to 5% on a year-over-year basis. And Mm -hmm. so this is something that's been a big concern here, but it's also happening globally as well. So it's, it's, it's something we can't outrun? It's something that we cannot avoid as consumers? Uh, well, you can certainly go online and the internet and search and look for, you know, the best prices for different things. But uh, right now, the rate of inflation in Canada, it's, it's close, as I mentioned, close to 5%. This is the highest rate that it's been in three decades. So that's a, it's a long time uh, since inflation's been this high. It's, it's above where the Bank of Canada who tries to target inflation, they certainly would like it closer to 2%. Uh, and it's, it's been above their range since the spring. So it's, it's certainly something that's affecting lots of different goods. If, if, you, I mean, if you want, I can go into some of the different, different things that are driving this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, we would like that very much. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, we had, during COVID and the lockdowns, you know, people have been stuck in their houses. And so a, a lot less spending is, is possible or safe to do on services like going to restaurants. Uh, travel is certainly down quite a lot. So people have shifted their spending away from services into goods. And so we've seen the prices of, of things that people buy goods just have risen you know, a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a bunch of things happening, as, as you probably are aware, out, out in Alberta. Energy prices, which took a huge hit um, early in the pandemic, and in fact were negative uh, a little bit um, in, in April of 2020, those have come up quite a lot. So energy prices are up about 30% year over year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's driven by oil prices. It's it's ultimately a good thing for Alberta's economy. It's a good thing for Canada's economy. But if you're you know if you're filling up your car at the pump, you're going to notice that there's been an increase in, in gas prices. 
Uh, we have cars, so people have been uh, trying to get cars, avoiding public transportation, and there's semiconductor shortages happening right now, so the price of cars has increased. Uh, people are looking to buy houses because people have been stuck, as I am right now in my basement, uh, mm-hmm. looking, looking for office space and looking for backyards and those kind of things, so the price of houses has gone up a lot. Uh, people are eating food at home and less so in restaurants, given the restrictions on restaurants, so food prices have gone up. Uh, there's a whole bunch of supply chain disruptions, as I mentioned before, with uh, you know port backlogs happening across the world, and and so you know a lot of that stuff's happening. And then I sort of mentioned at, at the outset, it's it's a bit more of a technical issue, but it's just the measurement. Like we're comparing prices now as to what prices are here to what prices were a year ago, and about a year ago, you know, we're still in the worst part in in COVID in some sense in terms of uh, you know economic situations, and so. We're comparing to depressed prices, so there's all those kind of things combined. And when you add this up again, we're we're with inflation that's you know close to about five percent. So, a lot of sticker shock for uh, for consumers, I think, all around. You know, okay. So, unlike uh, you know, some things in life when price goes up, uh, you know, they'll eventually come back down. If inflation, do we ever see it returning exactly to those prices that we've seen you know pre-inflation, or uh, can we expect to eke out some gains on the other side and not come out back to where we were when we see things are back in line? Uh, most people are thinking, I mean, there was an early thought in the pandemic that you would you would get this reopening uh, phase where prices would go up temporarily and then then we would sort of settle into some, some general longer-term trend. And again, in Canada, that's about 2%. In, in most advanced economies, that's around 2%. So uh, we're we're well above that right now, and and the big debate among economists is just you know how long that's going to last. I think uh, there's there's a risk now with inflation being so high that people will start to expect higher inflation, and they'll price that in to say if they're negotiating with their bosses for wage increases, they'll say, well, you know, inflation's gone up five percent, uh, my wage is going to have to go up more than two percent this year, just kind of keep keep pace with price price gains. So I mean, there's there are worries that. High inflation leads to just uh, actions that cause inflation to be high. But uh, generally, if you're looking at the, the 2022, like in this current year, most folks are expecting inflation to come down to, let's say, 3 or 3.5% three and, and certainly be slower in the second half of the year. But uh, these were the same forecasts that were coming in as of last year that, that really most, very few people saw inflation uh, getting as high as, as it is right now. So take a grain of salt, I guess. Yeah, so so right now, as I say, the central bank and their their job is to keep inflation under control. Uh, they are people like like um, Fetcher, uh, Jay Powell, or, or Tiff Macklem, who's in charge of the Canada Central Bank. They're sort of signaling to financial markets and to the public that that they're unease, um, they're uneasy with the with the rate of inflation being as as high as it is. And and so what's happened now is uh, financial markets are are starting to expect that there'll be some rate uh, increases. So interest rates are expected now to go up to try to bring that uh, high level of inflation under control. So uh, most expectations are that, let's say, as early as March. So in a, in a few months, we could start to see a, a slow and steady rise in, in interest rates. And so that's something which is going to hit people. Uh, if you have a vari- variable mortgage, that's something that would that would, would impact you. Uh, and if you're borrowing more generally long term, it's, it's, it's expected to get a little bit more expensive to do so going forward. I'm wondering, is this a, a, a Canada problem or is, is this worldwide? And, and as far as, you know, how do we compare to, to other nations and inflation? Are we getting hit harder or about the same? Uh, you can look across uh, all of the, the main advanced economies. Uh, Canada's up there. So, again, our, our inflation rate's close to 5%. That's, again, well above normal rates. But if you look across, so let's go south of the border, for example, 
In the U.S., we had inflation data out yesterday. Uh, inflation in the U.S. is running at 7% on a year-over-year basis, which is just sort of astronomical to people uh, that, that weren't, a, weren't around in, in the early 80s to remember uh, before inflation came down. We've, we've been living with inflation, you know, around 2% or below for a while. So, um, yeah, I mean, one, one point to make is just this is not a necessarily a made-in-Canada problem per se. Uh, this is a lot, of, a lot of global factors impacting lots of economies at the same time. And so uh, there are... There are expectations that in Canada we're going to raise interest rates, and, and in south of the border that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates. Uh, that that's going to do you know some help to to try to bring inflation under control, but it's it's going to be costly uh, effectively for businesses and, and for consumers uh, to some extent. An important topic, one that obviously we hear a lot about lately. Thank you for trying to break it down for us, Stephen. Really appreciate your time. Okay, thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And Thank have you. Your day. You too. Stephen Tapp, Chief Economist with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. I don't know. I, I, I understand inflation. I understand the concept. But I, I just always have this, this thought process. And I've seen things go up in the city mm-hmm. due to the pandemic. The inflation, you know, was this exacerbated because of the pandemic. But I don't think prices, once they're raised, are, they're not coming it's down. Like, it's like removing a tax. Yeah. Um, it rarely, if ever, happens, right? Because so everything, of, everything just starts to cost more and more, and just it continues that way. Well, Even it, if that rate of inflation, the percentage comes down slightly, it doesn't mean the prices will. Well, and it used to be when you got a raise, uh, would be uh, you know they'd have fact they would factor in the cost of living. Mm-hmm. Now that seems to be you're, you're lucky to get one and a half percent. Even you know what I'm saying? I yep. mean, it doesn't seem like and that's much lower than the cost of living. So it's interesting times, nevertheless. If you are waiting for relief at the gas pumps in 2022, you might be disappointed. We are looking at what's driving up the costs and whether we can expect any relief. So to help us explain what is going on is joining us this morning, Kent Fellows, Assistant Professor at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, let's talk about gas prices. They've been holding steady around a buck forty a liter in Calgary. So, what's keeping our gas prices as high as they are? Well, I mean, we looked at a number of different things all through the supply chain. Uh, you know, thinking about what's happening at the refinery level, what's happening with transportation. Uh, but in a word, it's crude oil prices. Uh, crude oil prices are on an upswing. They have been for the last sort of six to nine months, uh, and it doesn't look like we've got any relief coming if you look at uh, some of the major projections by groups like the uh, International Energy Agency. So high price of crude means that the biggest input cost of of retail gasoline is going up, which means the price of gasoline is going up and and we don't expect to see it fall. You know, in Calgary, we complain when we see prices this high. You know, then you look at, you know, people in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. for example, in Mm -hmm. different areas across the country. So I'm wondering, has everybody, is it a uniform uh, price increase across the, the nation or is Calgary hit particularly hard? No, it's definitely not uniform uh, across the nation. Uh, you know, Calgary at the retail level, you know, you start comparing us to other municipalities. Um, Vancouver in particular, lower mainland, is getting actually hit a lot worse than we are. And a lot of that has to do with uh, continued fallout from the flooding late last year. Uh, so the Trans Mountain Pipeline is one of the main ways they get uh, refined gasoline because they get it from our refineries in Edmonton. Uh, and that's running at reduced pressure. There were outages late last year here. There's some volumes of transport on rail. There's been outages there as well, and, and we expect that there's probably still congestion trying to clear, clear that backlog, because even a short outage, and, and this wasn't a short outage, uh, can create quite a, quite a backlog that takes time to work its way through the system. Uh, even inside Alberta, different municipalities are going to be feeling this differently because of 
different types of competition at the retail level. So if you look at the wholesale prices, you know, what your gas station pays for its gas, those are high. Uh, but depending on the the exact region that you're in and what your local produce, uh, retailers might be might be facing with sort of intermittent price wars with each other, there may still be the odd bargain out there. Um, but on average, uh, it, it's all high at the moment. Professor, did we get a second round of carbon taxes added to our gas prices yet, or is one coming this year? Uh, that's a really good question, and I should know that off the top of my head. I believe we have one last year. I don't think that there's been a scheduled uh, um, increase this year. Uh, but even if there has, and again, apologies, that's something I should know. Uh, even if there has, that's not going to be causing the type of price increases that we've seen. Uh, generally, the scheduled carbon tax increases are adding, you know, five or ten cents to the price, not sort of the, the twenty or thirty that, that we've seen. If you if you think about the price year over year, that's really down to what's happening with with crude oil demand and what's happening with retail demand given COVID sort of swings from lockdown to non-lockdown. So there's a lot of uncertainty there, but it's really the crude oil price that's going to be dominating this rather than any of the other things that we looked at down the supply chain. You know, it's interesting, uh, Professor, you said earlier that we don't see relief on the horizon. You alluded to that, but uh, as far as any further increases? Is it uh, going to be plateauing where we see this without the relief coming anytime soon, or could we see a few extra pennies tacked onto that price per liter? I wish I could give you a perfect answer because <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, but I, I really, you know, it, it, when when we see the prices here at the retail level, uh, it's to be expected that there may be the odd swing here and there. Again, some of that's down to retail competition. Some of that's going to be down to, to crude oil prices. Uh, late last year, there was a coordinated release uh, from uh, uh, several national strategic reserves. Uh, that was something that I think the Biden administration in the U.S. spearheaded, uh, and that gave a little bit of relief in the short term. Uh, but the problem with, with supplies out of reserves is they dry up, and then the nations want to rebuild the reserves. So the demand's not really going anywhere, and the long-term supply's not really changing. So you can have these small variations, uh, but but nothing persistent. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate the conversation. Have a great day. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you, Kent Fellows, Assistant Professor at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. We've often heard that we are 10 years away from a climate catastrophe, but how are these projections calculated? And can we actually predict the future of climate change and climate emergencies? Joining us with insight into these climate predictions is Kenneth Green, a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Ken. Good morning. Well, let's talk about this as far as, you know, from the impetus. How are these dire forecasts made, and, and can we count them as being reliable? Well, I think you've, you've hit on the, the important word, which is forecasts. Um, what people, I think, don't understand is that we're not looking at current temperature trends and they're saying, what if this continues for another 10 years? What if it continues for another 20 years? That's not where these predictions of 10 years to catastrophe come from. What they come from are computer models of the, of the future that essentially um, are backward constructed video games, really. You have a group of experts who say, what do we think the future is going to look like in the year 2100 in terms of what the population will be, how much energy we'll use, what our technology will look like, what our social structures will look like. And then they say, well, to get there, we'd, we'd have to have this much greenhouse gas emissions for that scenario to, to happen. And then they, they use that estimate of what, what they're going to have to meet their future dream scenario to put it into a computer model and calculate how long it is before things will get too hot. 
essentially. And Ken, um, would they be worst case or best guess? They usually are a range. The, the computer models generally do a range of uh, worst case to, to um, optimistic case. I don't think they'll go the best case. But um, the thing is, the media and the, the politicians and the, the climate change advocates never talk to you about the fact that the low-end estimates are not particularly damaging and not particularly critical to, to worry about in, in, a, in real terms, rapid terms of greenhouse gas emission reductions. So they do model them, and they model a big range. It's a very big range um, from, you know, you could have two degrees of warming or one and a half degrees of warming up to seven and a half degrees of warming. That's a really big range. The low end is not a very big threat, so you never hear about that. You always hear about the disaster end. So, so what does this serve then? Why, why do we not just kind of prepare the best that we can, you know, kind of middle of the road, knowing that we might not have an extreme, uh, you know, either way, if these forecasts don't have that reliability due to the fact that we don't know the, you know, so many factors in the future? That's a great question. Have you ever tried to buy a car and, and, and get, the, get the salesman to actually give you the sort of median, uh, commonsensical purchase uh, information you no. want? Um, Good point. no. <laughs> No, I mean, the thing is, it's always buy it now, and if you, you know, if you, I'll give you 20% off right now. If you walk out the door, then 30 minutes later, that goes away. Um, yeah. so the reason we're not, we're not hearing about that kind of thing is because they're selling an action agenda. Uh, the, the government and the people who are behind climate, climate, climate change um, concern, they also have a, an agenda, of a political agenda and a social agenda. And they're trying to sell that. And so we don't hear the average, why don't we just, look, let's, let's buckle down, let's check to make sure our seawalls are high enough to make, in case the sea level rises, let's make sure we have enough energy to run the heat and the air conditioning in case the temperature goes up or down, let's uh, improve our sewer systems so that if it rains more or snows more, let's get, some be- you know, get better at plowing our snow. Um, those are very pragmatic things, uh, just aren't exciting from a sales perspective as is saving the future of humanity by <laughs> engaging in giant sacrificial gestures today of zero carbon by 2050. Well, yeah, because right? no one no one would take action then. There would be, you'd sit back and go, okay, well, it's, it's not so bad then if we just look at best case scenario. So, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, but yes, we, we have to be careful about creating a fear factor here. So how do we then find the best and most reliable models to kind of believe in then, Ken? Well, that, I mean, I think with regard to models, we, we need to take a step back as a society in general, not just climate models, but uh, people who have come to believe that computer models actually have predictive value in the future that are worth acting upon in terms of inflicting things on other people, like making them, limiting their choices, putting regulations on them, or requiring them to do things and buy things. I think society as a whole has, has come under this impression that computer modeling is science, Mm. But they're not. It's not. It's all input so that's, by so people, right? It, it's all input by people. It's all data in, data out, or guesses in. Uh, it's mostly guesses in, guesses out, really. Um, and so if you are going to listen to models, at least you have to, you have to find the, your way to understanding the high end and the low end ranges if they've done them. Mm. And then the most you can say as well, it's probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> the reality might be somewhere in the middle. Um, but really the pragmatic part is that we need to actually be looking more for what's happening right now. Mm. We need to be collecting more data on the actual temperature changes that are happening around the world and in Canada, the actual rise changes in sea levels of where, where salt water might be intruding into fresh water, 
the actual places in which um, weather uh, events are actually changing as opposed to the, the sort of hysterical focus on extreme, on extreme events which aren't really changing. We need a finer ground-level resolution on these things. And really the best way to tackle those things is with local, uh, through, through local efforts and local governments. Uh, and I know it's a, it's a dirty word to many people, but this whole idea of markets in which people take action spontaneously to reduce their risk when they live in a place that's, uh, that seems to be getting more occasionally flooded more often, they actually t- they t- take steps to reduce their risk of flooding. Yeah. So I think it's really a pragmatic, more a pragmatic focus we need to have on, on looking for symptoms and treating symptoms rather than, you know, the root cause of the disease, which is all the rage right now. Yeah. It's all about root causes and it's not never about treating symptoms, but really it's about treating symptoms. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot more to the conversation that has to be had if we want to, you know, make some progress in this area, because in the meantime, there's a lot of different factors. We appreciate your time this morning, Kenneth. My pleasure. Anytime. That is Kenneth Green, a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. She's always cryptic. She tells us what she wants to talk about. This time around, it's, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Oush, Halo Halo, and Smoking Jacket. So what do these things mean? Only one woman knows. Joining us now is Cami Laird, editor of Savor Calgary Magazine. Hi, Cami. Good morning, Sue. I love your cryptic teases. Uh, they make it fun. I know we've got so many great things going on in every Saver Calgary magazine and in our food scene here in the city. So where to start? Which which one of those words, terms, do you want to go with? <laughs> I had to look it up myself. Al-Sharesheh is, is how you pronounce that. And it is a beautiful soup. It's a Persian soup that we found at Caspian Market in the Northwest. Um, and it's part of our smoke show feature. We sort of went through um, and found some of the most beautiful dishes in Calgary. And uh, we thought we needed some eye candy in, in January. Mm. So, um, yes, Alshanesite is this gorgeous uh, soup that has this deep, greens that are almost black and bright yellows and there's they design them on the top of a special sort of yogurt and uh, they tell me that they actually will put messages into the designs um with arabic writing uh, to their friends and family when they gift these things cool. or when they're on feast. so yeah they're and it's, it's really interesting very dense and uh, a meal in a tablespoon it's re- it's really really quite delicious and beautiful too sign me up that sounds fantastic let's move along to the next item halo halo Halo, Halo. The first time I ever saw this was during uh, the Bubble Tea Festival this summer, Mm -hmm. and it was a frozen treat entry, and um, it is like a rainbow in a glass. It's so beautiful. It has bright purple and bright pink and some unexpected ingredients like corn and yam and ice cream, and you just wouldn't expect um, those things to be in a glass together, but it's a Filipino treat. You can find it at Pacific Hut uh, and on the International Avenue, BRZ, and it is yummy on the and in the tummy. I would agree. I was there that day and it was fascinating how good it was. Uh, let's talk smoking jacket because it's, you know, smoking is out of vogue, but not the jacket, perhaps. <laughs> well, especially when it's in the glass with some whiskey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's never too early to talk whiskey. And uh, it's, it's sort of the inspiration for the, the, the title of the piece called Smoke Show. These smoked cocktails are kind of all the rage right now. And the mixologists in Calgary are coming up with some pretty beautiful things. Um, and they're just spectacular when they show up at your table uh they lift this you know a glass uh cover and, and all this smoke comes out and in in there somewhere is this beautiful cocktail uh this one the smoking jacket jacket you can find at proof and it is a bourbon cocktail and uh with some peated scotch bitters and sugar and just this haze of sherry of uh, cherry wood smoke and uh quite quite gorgeous i must say mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if, 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 if you are ever surprised, we're going to direct people to savercalgary.ca, but are you ever surprised at just the depth of our culinary scene here and, and, and people just have to get out and explore it? Because you, you bring new things to me and I consider myself somebody quite adventurous. <laughs> Every single day, mm-hmm. I'm surprised. It, the ingenuity and the creativity of the people in this town just never ceases to amaze me. It's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been really, really inspiring over the last few years doing this magazine and uh, meeting all these people um, from all over the world who just have these just visions of um, how to put flavor and color and texture together uh, and just uh, so much to explore. I just really, really encourage Calgarians to get out there while you can and uh, and enjoy some beautiful food. Totally agree and drink and all the things that, that go around the, the food industry. Have you spotted or, or kind of seen any trends that might be emerging? for 2022 yet, Cami, or is it too early to say? Well, you know, like I said, that kind of the smoking cocktails, I've seen a lot of those. Um, and I, it's, it's interesting because I think folks are uh, still on edge about what's, you know, what's going to happen COVID-wise and things like that. So everybody's poised to pivot, as they always are. Um, so the takeout game remains to be strong, I think. Um, and, and something that has come out of the pandemic that I think is good is that um, the places that really offer an experience that you can't get at home mm-hmm. are the places that are, are going to thrive kind of in this new world because we can get great food at takeout now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't something that we could get before the pandemic. And now we know we can. So when we go out, we really want to have an experience. So I think those are the places that um, the places that up their game in the restaurant themselves are really going to be uh, stars. Hopefully we get the opportunity to go up much more in mm-hmm. the months ahead and uh, we'll follow your lead. Thank you so much, Cammy. Thank you. That is Cammie Laird, editor of Savor Calgary magazine. You're going to find it online at savercalgary.ca. It makes you hungry and just want to go out and, and dive into all the great food in this city when you go on that website. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.